0: Welcome in, listeners, to another edition of Whisper in the Wings. We are so excited to have you uh, back. In fact, we are so excited about our guest today. Um, really, really happy to have them on the show. It's Jonathan Silverstein from King Company. Uh, I had the pleasure, a little less than a month ago, of seeing their show, The Space Between Us, and it was fabulous. You've probably heard about it already on one of our Broadway bulletins Um, Jonathan, welcome to Whisper in the Wings. So glad you could join us today. Thank you so much, Andrew. It is a pleasure to be here with you today. Um, So you guys uh, currently have the show, The Space Between Us, running at Theatre Row, which is a fabulous show. It was definitely, it started off what I thought would be a typical family comedy, and and it was anything but. So do you want to tell us a bit about your show? Absolutely. This Space Between Us is a world
1: premiere uh, play by Peter Gill Sheridan, and it follows Jamie, a very successful corporate lawyer um, who decides to really sort of change his life and pursue work with an NGO based in Africa. And his Cuban-American parents freak out. His longtime boyfriend freaks out. His best friend freaks out. Uh, And the one person who is really behind him is his aunt, who is a nun. (laughs) And the story of the play really is of a man trying to do good for the world while perhaps not being the best at doing good by the people close to him.
0: And I think that's a perfect synopsis of this. And I, I really had to laugh because that, that at the nun part, because that was jarring for me The when the lights come up and boom, there's a nun and I was like, what, what are we getting into here? Like (laughs) it almost came off like a British farce at first. I was like, well, you are so out of place, but she, she fit perfectly. It was wonderful. Um, So how did you come upon the show?
1: The playwright sent us a copy of the script. That's really how we came upon it. Um, My director of new work, Jeremy Stoller, was familiar with the writer's work and had actually read an early draft of the play. And so when he got this draft, he read it. He said, I think this might be something that's perfect for Keen and perfect for me to direct. Uh, So he sent it to me, read it. And um, it really sort of hit on a lot of the things that uh, I wanted to come back with this year. It was really important to me to find a play that had um, heart, that had a sense of joy, and that was also speaking to the times that we were living in right now. And this play really ticks all those boxes. Absolutely. Uh, Yes.
0: Yeah, no, no. I love everything you're saying because it, it felt very much of now. It, you know, and, and the craziness of what we've been going through, you felt very powerless with everything that has happened and and you felt very much like you wanted to do something, you know. Um, but I felt like your 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 main character of Jamie really took that to another level and I was like, wow, I I'm thinking of maybe just giving a little bit of money somewhere, but you <laughs> you go do you, like, that is a huge commitment, you know. He's doing what we all wish we could do, but none of us, I think, would do. And I think that's, yeah.
1: I think that's very well said, and I I think that's something we talked a lot about in the process, of sort of this idea of right-sizing. And, you know, what is the sort of like size of things that people can do and uh, based on the person? And I think it's really interesting that Jillian, his best friend character, actually sort sort of ends up sort of doing sort of for her, one of the new right things to do in the end, which I don't want to give it away, but you know, sort of some of the question is, is like, wow, was it, you know, was Jamie biting off more than he can chew um, by some of his decisions? But I think it's a really interesting question of like, how do we do good in the world? And um, you know, what is the right thing to do? And again, how do we do right in the world? and also do right by the people close to us.
0: Yeah. So what was it like developing this show?
1: So this play um, had been developed at two other theaters, the new harmony project and also page 73. Um, And so when we got it, it had been developed a bunch, but it, It's still, there was still some open questions and and sort of refining that needed to be done. Uh, And so we worked really closely, me and Jeremy Stoller, my director of New Work, who's also the dramaturg on the project, really worked closely with Peter from late spring all the way to when we started rehearsal, including a, a couple day reading with actors and um, I think the big thing that we sort of focused on is making sure that it was Jamie's story. Uh, this play originally was developed in a sort of um, non-traditional way. Uh, the playwright actually you know, knew he wanted to explore this. He knew kind of what the scenes were going to be and where they were going to be. And he knew who the characters were but he wasn't sure exactly how he wanted to flesh it out. And he actually drew the characters and the scenes out of a hat um, uh, to see what characters would be in what scenes. And actually in the original sort of first draft and maybe even the second draft, I'm not sure, the character of Jamie, the lead character disappeared after uh, in the middle of the play. He went to Africa and was never heard from again. and. Through the development of it, it really was clear that this was Jamie's story. And so Jamie had to appear in the whole play. And, you know, when we got it, he did appear in the whole play, but it still needed some threading through. And interestingly enough, you know, he used to take two big trips in the play. And we realized, you know, the playwright realized, as we discussed it more, that actually he should only take one trip. And that, necessi- that, what that, um, n- n- uh, it became necessary to actually switch some scenes around, and that threaded through some issues. And so that was one big thing. I think the other interesting thing is Jillian, the character of Jillian used to be two characters. Um, oh, Ted, the boyfriend, had a best friend, and Jamie had a best friend. And he realized after his workshop with Page 73 that actually there just needed to be one best friend. So Jillian, you know, sort of was, you know, made into sort of one character and actually some of the other character who is now gone, actually their dialogue um, and their point of view of, went to Ted a bit. So it was interesting to see how everything shifted over the over you know the way he was thinking about it. But it was a delightful development process because the writer Peter Gill Sheridan is, is a writer who not only knows himself and his work, um, but is also able to listen and really wants to hear and really wants to collaborate to make the the best show possible. Not only with Jeremy and I, but also with the actors. He really listened and um, uh, yet only made changes that felt right for him. And it was a real real delight to work with him. So as you can see, I really enjoyed it as the, uh, (laughs) I just talked about that for a long time, Um, but uh, it really was a joy to develop the play.
0: No, I love that. I mean, who would have thought, like, a play could be written by just pulling the scenes out of a hat? Like, it just shows how creative our art form is. So I love that. Um, what is the message or the thought that, that you guys are hoping audiences are going to walk away with from the show?
1: I think audiences, or I hope audiences, are going to come away with a, a, a couple things. I, I think, you know, a lot of these characters – are somewhat flawed, but you understand them. A lot of them say things that, that you might not necessarily always agree with, but you understand why they're saying them. And I, I think that's a really um, important point. Uh, Keen Company's mission is based off of identification. And, you know, we really hope that even, you know, even if you see a character on stage that you don't agree with, that you will identify with them. Mm. So I, I hope audiences will come away with an appreciation of different viewpoints other than their own. I hope they will come away with this idea of, you know, everyone, a lot of people want to do better in this world and the complications of that and how it's complicated both personally and in your community and in the world. Um, and finally, I think there's a really beautiful story to be told about first generation Americans mm-hmm. and, um, the, their stories, uh, and their struggles, you know, uh, their struggles with the responsibilities that they have. And I think the hopes and dreams that are put on them, and how they operate in the world, and with the challenges that they specifically have. And uh, I've been hearing a lot of interesting feedback from people who are first generation, and how this play really hits home for them. so yes, uh, and lastly, I hope audiences, yes, those are very weighty things that I said, but I also hope audiences are going to have a great time. There's a lot of laughs in this play. Yes. Peter is a brilliant, brilliant comedy writer. And so, you know, I hope they'll, they'll laugh and also think.
0: I, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, that was the most joyous thing is I felt like there were a lot of important issues dealt with, but it wasn't a, a heavy show that like I went back to people and I was like, you know, in and all, and all the, in and, and this in and this winter season when we're dealing with a lot of hard and serious issues and we're asking these questions that should be asked, this is a show that it's still asking important questions, but doing it more of the way maybe we can do it at a Thanksgiving dinner, a little bit more lighthearted with a couple of glasses of wine in us, you know. Um, I, I did want to ask, uh, while we were talking, uh, this thought came to my mind uh, I love the way, and and maybe you can elaborate a bit, that there's a presence of what I feel is the divisiveness that exists in our country um, between Jamie's parents and Jamie's boyfriend and his best friend, uh, Gina, right? Uh, Jillian. Jillian, thank you. I'm sorry, I'm horrible with names. Uh, But where you've got, um, and it's fascinating to me because you've got Jamie's parents and his father is a a Cuban-American immigrant you know and they're very conservative and then you've obviously got his boyfriend and his best friend jillian who are very uh um well left wing um and very pc and you've got these two ideas on stage that are just clashing in in the best and yet the worst way you know um and i didn't know if you maybe want to elaborate a bit about that how that maybe came about or or helps feed that uh, the story a bit?
1: That's a great question and a great thing to talk about because Peter um, really wanted to, you know, hold the microscope up to different viewpoints we have these days. And what's in the conversation and also really poke fun at sort of all sides of the conversation. You've got the dad who is a conservative Republican. You've got the mom who doesn't vote. You've got Ted who's a bit woke and a new vegan, uh, which is, you know, poked fun at. And then you've got Jillian, who actually is sort of someone who really, really calls BS on a lot of woke culture. Mm-hmm. And and I think Peter spares no one uh, in the conversation. And I, I think he's really sort of saying, hey, we have a lot of different viewpoints going on and really, you know, everyone's right and no one is right. And I think it's a really powerful reminder of sort of the way we talk about politics and the way we talk about our viewpoints these days. And Peter is a very, very passionate and political person. And I love that he has put all these different viewpoints in all these various characters and also examined the different generations and how you you can have different viewpoints in every generation. Not all the young people think the same, for instance
0: yes no i mean that that to me was one of the the most shining points of the show was being able to point out all of that in the, in the best way not just to be like you're right you're right you're right but to be like we're all collectively right you're all collectively wrong sit in your chairs own your stuff but let's also like laugh about it in a way um so i yeah i know i love that i'm glad that you were able to elaborate on that Is there a particular audience or people that you hope have access to the show?
1: Well, first of all, I really want Latinx audiences to come and see this show because I, there's, a, there's a really, anytime we have uh, Latinx audience members in the theater, they just get everything. There's Spanish spoken in this show, and there, there's a lot that's very specific. Uh, especially to the Cuban community, but really uh, the Latinx community. And also, I think it's a really uh, evocative portrayal of first-generation Americans and the challenges that they have with their families and how they navigate the world. So I really hope they'll come. I, you know, I always hope that, um, and I've been proud to see a young, diverse audience coming to see this play. That to me is incredibly gratifying. And then finally, we've had our um, more typical older theater goers, and they've gotten a lot out of this. And really, um, sort of to see all these different viewpoints and the things that we've been talking about from various viewpoints. So of course I want everyone to see it, <laughs> but there are some specific specific um, audiences that I hope will get a lot out of it.
0: I love and And so far, everything I've seen, the reception has been absolutely wonderful. So kudos to that. Uh, so on our podcast, I mean, we do not only talk about shows and, and break them down, um you know, uh, design-wise and all that, but we do talk about experiences and, and, and our own personal experiences in theater. So I'd love to talk to you about your experience in the theater and, and start by asking you what shows in the past have inspired you or do you love or writers, composers, maybe have, have done that as well? Well, a couple of my
1: early influences, first of all, was the director Andre Gregory who um, used to work with, or still does probably, with Wallace Shawn. Uh, and actually, you can see his work on film in Vanya on 42nd Street. So what he used to do is he used to get ensembles together, and they would work on a piece for years. I mean years. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when, when sort of like they would gather like for a month every year or, you know, whenever you could get everyone together. Vanya on 42nd Street was, was the sort of, call of filming of, of the sort of culmination of an Uncle Vanya that they had worked on for years. And he really believed in this idea of ensemble and sort of character actors really inhabiting a role and bringing themselves to a role. And I just, I learned about him when I started directing in college. And then I started to see his work and I was just blown away by the sort of fineness of the acting and the way he created the ensemble, which is something that's really important to me. Um, uh, another director and theater company that I fell in love with when I first really started directing in my 20s was Declan Donnellan and Cheek by Jowl. Um, they're a British company. I don't know if they're around anymore, but they used to do um, classical work. And I think uh, I saw a couple pieces of theirs. Um, I saw a, I think I saw an As You Like It that blew me away. Again, they're a company that's all about the ensemble um, and all about really the actor discovering, really sort of the inner, 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 their inner life and their character's inner life. And that director and that company brought such joy to pieces that I was just blown away. And again, they're a company that works on a piece for a while, not as long as Andre Gregory, but um, they tour them for ages. And so they get really inhabited. And um, uh, so it was another, another group of, of writers that just, I, I'm sorry, group of, a group of actors and directors that I loved. Um, I'm a big Sondheim fan. Mm-hmm. I love his work. Um, we, uh, the first musical I ever did at Keene Company, which hadn't done musicals before, was uh, Sondheim's Marry Me a Little. I loved the complexity of his character. Uh, it's he's brilliant um, I'll give a shout out just I'm like thinking of this at the moment to uh Floyd Collins another mm-hmm. musical by um Adam Gettle and Tina Landau which blew me away when I saw it in the 90s all about a a man trapped in a cave and uh the theatricality and the music oh my god the dissonant music in that musical which really sort of like really, you know, you saw inside this character. I could go on and on, but there are a couple <laughs> things uh, that, that sort of stand out.
0: I love it. Um, so have you seen any great shows or, or theater lately that you might recommend for our listeners?
1: I am sorry to say that I have seen very little that I can recommend at the moment because I sort of stopped seeing theater during the Omicron surge and have really been trying to keep myself away from crowds so that we can really, you know, focus in, especially in rehearsal, focus in and make sure everyone is, stays healthy. Um, I did see Man Cave from page 73 last weekend. I really enjoyed that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm looking forward to seeing more now that we are open.
0: Yes. I mean, I I share my, or at least my wife shares that, that kind of double-edged sword of, you know, we're open working in the theater, but we're also going to stay in our bubble still because we don't want (laughs) to, we want to stay open. So I love the direction we're all everything's going because I hope we all can just keep intermingling and seeing each other's work. Cause it, there's so much great work being done.
1: I'm going to put one shout out though. It's something that's closing and I believe in two and a half weeks. And it was one of the highlights of any show I've seen, which is American Utopia. It is, uh, that's the, um, David Byrne piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I saw it uh, pre shutdown and i am got to say like, for me, it was a, almost like a religious experience. It was it's so beautiful. If you know David Burns' music or you know the talking heads, it, it is a beautiful thing to see. But the way it is staged and the way oh the way the band operates with him on stage, it's a beautiful dance. But also it is a a joyous uh, evocation of life and theater it, it like leaves you on such a high so if anyone has not seen it and can get a ticket to it in the next two and a half weeks I would highly recommend it don't miss this and if you do miss it I believe it's on HBO or maybe it's Amazon so you can see it but if you can see it live I would highly recommend it
0: I'd be in that crowd I, I, I keep hearing everyone tell me how great it is I'm like I gotta I gotta pencil it in because I saw them perform on Saturday Night Live and the name didn't register with me at first. But then when he started, you know, performing and singing, I was like, Oh yeah, I know this guy. I know this music. My aunt used to play it all the time when we cruise around Phoenix. So okay, I'm now I gotta find tickets right away. This is all great information this is all fun but I, I want to know what is your favorite theater memory
1: okay that's a big question that's a big question that's a big question I'm gonna give you two okay one was a production of inspector calls an old JB Priestley mm-hmm. play that was directed by Stephen Daldry I hope I'm getting that correctly and it was on Broadway I didn't know what to expect and the curtain was down you know you know when you first come in and you know all this incredible music is playing and when they raise the curtain it is raining and i'm not talking raining it's pouring rain as the curtain rises and it rises on this sort of mini dollhouse that or you know mini it looked like a dollhouse of course you know it was sized with people and the dialogue started in the house and you could hear i don't it was so theatrical i i like you know i was in awe i burst into tears it was it was i will never ever ever forget that production and how brilliant it was and the direction and how he sort of changed the story how he sort of used the set to really tell a different story about um about you know he, he sort of used the set to tell a different story that amplified the story of the play. It was a beautiful reimagining. I loved it. Um, all right, I'm going to give one more, and I'm going to say, "Oh my god, I could give so many." The first play I ever saw on Broadway was House of Blue Leaves by John Guare. It oh. starred John Mahoney, Danny Aiello, Christine Baranski, Ben Stiller, um, Susie Kurtz. I must have been like, "I don't know." 11, 12, I was blown away by the acting, just blown away by everyone. It was so funny, it so moved me. I didn't know that you know that could be a thing on Broadway. I'd only seen a Broadway musical, I thought it was amazing. However, I'm gonna give one last shout out. Sorry, it's three memories. <laughs> I saw a lot of powerful productions at Trinity Rep in Providence, Rhode Island um, when I was growing up and uh, they seared themselves into my memory including our production of The Visit by uh, Duramont that took place in a train station and that was site specific and like nothing I had ever seen. So, you know, there, there's so much great work that happens in this country that doesn't just happen on Broadway. So a shout out to Trinity Rep and all the regional theaters out there.
0: Yes. And, you know, I, I love what you said about the House of Blue Leaves, how, how that play, that was like your, oh my God, kind of moment on Broadway kind of thing. Um, We just recorded an episode about The Normal Heart, which was my, I guess, come to Jesus kind of moment. I I was a Mm. only musicals on Broadway kind of person before that because I was like, regional theaters and that don't have the budget or the means to do what Broadway can do with musicals, but with plays. The regional house that I went to and then later worked at in Salt Lake City. Totally, absolutely. They did amazing work. And my wife dragged me to see Waiting for Godot with Nathan Lane and John Goodman and that. And I was just kind of ignorant in college. And I was like, this is good, but I just don't understand it. <laughs> and then <laughs> the next year we saw The Normal Heart. And it was the first show that, like, I mean, I was sobbing and openly weeping to the show. And I was like, I get it. Like, oh my God, I get why, why, why plays exist on Broadway. I, I understand this. And from that moment on, I was like, for every musical, we have to see a play. And I stopped looking into what plays were about and I just started buying tickets. And I have, I have just seen works that have just moved me and inspired me. And that's kind of overflowed into off-Broadway. I mean, that's how I stumbled into your show. I was like, yeah, this one looks cool. Let's see what that... And I mean, there are great stories to be told. And so I love that you said that about the House of Blue Leaves. Um, and, and that was like your, oh, you know. And I hope more people will go and do that, you know, and just realize there's more than just musicals out there and take a risk on shows. Because you, seriously, you never know what you're going to see and that'll just pull you into that world. Um Oh, my gosh. I, I would love to pick your brain more about these memories. This is great. Like, <laughs> when is your book coming out? <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I'll get writing. I'll get writing.
0: <laughs> so the, the last question I want to ask you is, you know, what is your favorite part about working in the theater?
1: The, my favorite part of working in the theater really comes down to building a community. I mean, it started when I started Directing and, and in the rehearsal room, you o- you're always building a community in that rehearsal room uh, of actors telling a story, and then bringing the designers in. Um, and, and I think theater theater builds community like no other art form um, because you're really sort of every time you're forming a family, you're mm-hmm. forming an ensemble and. I think I've just always been drawn to that. Um, So, and now as an artistic director, that idea of building a community sort of really spreads out. It spreads out to building a community of those that I work with in the office every day, a community of our board and donors, and really the community of people who come and support our work. Or even it's just the community of one night that we are forming. Last night, we did a talk back for students from John Jay College, um, that's a criminal justice college and with a very Latinx student body. And, you know, about 20 students stayed afterwards, and their responses to the show and, and what they got from it just really moved me. And that was just a community of one night. And what a joy to just sit in the theater and hear people's viewpoints, and hear how the show moved them. Really, what jazzes me is just really getting people together to share, share themselves, talk about a topic, or talk about something that they're feeling. It's just a real privilege uh, to be able to do that with this art form. And uh, I feel just really grateful that I found this, and that I, I'm able to do it uh, day in and day out and it's you know it, it's uh, there's certainly a lot of challenges along the way of creating theater and creating theater in these days, but it's a real utter joy to create community and um, yeah, I would say that's my favorite part
0: I love that and I mean seriously that 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 should be a poster somewhere because as many people who see Films and that, I'm like you'll never have an experience like you will when you go to live theater. The 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 shared experience. You know, you can sit in a movie theater with a hundred people, but no one's talking, no one's experiencing. You're not ha- sharing that experience of gasping or reacting to the screen. Everyone's keeping quiet and kind of internalizing everything. But in the theater, you're one among many, but you're you're still a part of what's actually happening live. You are an active participant as much as the people on stage. And then getting oh my to gosh. talk about it afterwards is incredible. It's such an interactive. It's such, I love that word community. And oh, that, that, that's why I'm always like people, if you haven't gone to a, a theater show, just go, trust me. It's like nothing you've ever seen, whether you like the theater or not, you will have a good time. You know, I, it, you'll find something you like.
1: Well, and the audience is a crucial part of the process and no performance is the same based on the audience. So those actors, they do something different depending on what that audience feels like. And even one person in an audience can really impact a performance. And that is the Mm -hmm. beautiful thing about what we do. We really, we really come together every night and every night is different. And every night we create community and, um, it's a really, it's a really wonderful and unique thing that the theater does.
0: I love that. Are there any other productions that your company has coming on the pipeline? So uh, Keen
1: Company, uh, Keen Company. This is our main show of the season. Um, we did uh, in December. We did something that. Um, That was sort of a continuation of what we did over the pandemic. Over the pandemic, we uh, commissioned and produced uh, audio plays. And what we did this year is we uh, did the same thing. We commissioned and produced two audio plays that we um, performed and recorded live last December with live Foley and live music. And we're actually going to be putting those out into the world, those recordings, uh, coming up in the next few weeks. Um, In addition, we have a star-studded benefit uh, of Mossheart's Light Up the Sky, which is a love letter to the theater. And that is going to be on Monday, April 25th. And then finally, we have our Keen Teens educational program, in which we commission uh, professional writers to write large cast one acts for high school students. We bring in high school students from across the city uh, to perform in them, and that will be uh, that will be May twentieth through twenty second. So that's what's coming up for Keen Company, and then you know our season begins again next fall. If anyone has any you know wants any updates if they want to keep on you know with what's going on with us or they want to learn more information about this space between us uh they should visit us at that's www.keencompany.org they can find out all information about what is coming up uh and as well they can sign up for updates so they can hear what's gonna be happening next season, which I am very excited
0: about. I am excited too. I, being a, a a new resident here, it's fun getting around to the new theater companies and I'm like, okay, I want subscription to that one. I want subscription to that one. And uh, I've actually, I've seen shows in the past I've, I've discovered uh, of your company, uh, cause I recognized the logo and I was like, yeah, okay, it's time. <laughs> I live here now. We're doing this so. Um, well, our guest today has been Jonathan Silverstein of King Company, and their show currently playing and playing till April um... until Saturday, April second. So you have two and a half more weeks. Uh, So April 2nd uh, is the space between us. You can get more information about the show and about everything Keen Company is doing at www.keencompany.org. Jonathan, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on our show today. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Andrew. It's a real pleasure to see you at an early preview. I love your enthusiasm. I love what you're doing. I love that you are amplifying off-Broadway and all sorts of theater and just it was a pleasure chatting with you and thank you for having me on today
0: thank you and to our listeners out there thanks so much for tuning in we remind you to uh to turn off your cell phones unwrap your candies and keep your masks on and keep talking about the theater
1: in a stage whisper enjoy the show
0: If you like what you hear, please leave a five star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at Stage at gmail.com. Our theme song is Maniac by Jazzar. Other music on this episode provided by Jazzar, Man Bites Dog, and Billy Murray.